last several weeks, we've been in a uh, series of messages where, where we've been asking some questions about how God feels about us. And uh, we've asked and we've answered questions like, is God accusing us? Is God impatient with us? Uh, last week, we, we asked that question, is God angry with us? And today we're asking the question, is God indifferent toward us? Uh, knowing that I was going to be preaching the message today, I've had a couple of people this last week or two joke around with me about uh, my reputation uh, for going long in messages. Imagine that. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, you know, you ought to surprise people. This is a great opportunity for you to get up and, and ask that question. Is God indifferent to us? And give us a three-word sermon. No, he's not, you know. And I thought, you know, that could be kind of fun to do as a joke. Why well, ruin my reputation now, right? Uh, although, uh, obviously, this morning uh, we're going to be a little bit shorter in this message than sometimes we are. But, but, hey, all joking aside, let's take some time this morning to answer that question. Is God indifferent toward us? And, and I want to answer it this morning with a very simple but a very profound reply. And and the word that I want to use this morning in, in responding to this question and, and talking about this uh, today is really a word. It's an idea. This message is an idea that's really not uh, original to me. I heard another pastor preach this theme many years ago, and that so impacted me. What I heard back a number of years ago that, that I thought this this it, it really the theme fits well with answering this question. Is God indifferent toward us? And, uh, and so as we, uh, as we answer that today, let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we, uh, we pray that as we look at your word this morning and what it says to our lives and the truths that it speaks into us, God, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your Holy Spirit would want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. When you were a child growing up, did you ever ask your mom and dad the reason for why they were telling you to do something? And, 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 and when they responded, they responded with that one word answer that probably some of you know, you could probably say it today. It is what? Because, right? <laughs> because. And, you know, that's a reply I heard at times. And uh, perhaps uh, you heard it as well uh, when you were growing up and and maybe now as you're older, you're even beginning to use that reply. If you've got kids and, and they're growing up in your home, maybe that's a, an answer that you have used sometimes when they ask you uh, the question, why? And, uh, and you know, as we think about that, uh, uh, you know, we use that reply, don't we, for all sorts of, of questions. Not just the questions, maybe sometimes that our kids ask us, but, but other things. Uh, you know, for instance, maybe someone asks you sometime, uh, you know, would you like tea or coffee? And uh, you say, well, I'd prefer coffee, please. And, and if they ask you, why is it that you like coffee more than tea? You might give as your reason that simple response, oh, because. Or maybe if you're asked uh, why, whether you want like a vanilla ice cream or a chocolate ice cream, you say vanilla, and, and if asked why, you, you say because. We never stop to think when we answer that question that on the one hand, chocolate ice cream doesn't melt as fast as vanilla ice cream, or, or on the other hand, that cocoa beans might become addictive. Uh, we simply say because. You know, those two questions are really not very profound ones, are they? But, but what about this one? Why did you fall in love with and marry the man who is your husband, ladies? 
Now, let's be honest. He's probably not the best looking man in the world. He may not be the strongest or the most gentle, and he's probably not the most intelligent man in all the world, and maybe not even the most profoundly Christian. So let's lay aside all the hyperbole, and let me ask you again, why is it that you fell in love with and married the man who is your husband? Well, because. Hmm? Or we could ask, why do we like one hymn rather than another? And many people might simply say, because. Or why do we like one style of music over another in our worship services? Because. Why is it that some in the church like a a service that is uh, more uh, formal and consistent and maybe a bit more liturgical, while someone else wants a service that is free and informal and and where changes occur from week to week? And, And sometimes the response to that question is because. You know, speaking about this reality of the differences that there are in all of us. Uh, the Christian mathematician Blaise Pascal once said this. He said, the heart has its reasons that reason sometimes does not know. Do you get that? The heart has its reasons that reason sometimes does not know. And I would say to us that many times when you and I make decisions and determine preferences and decide on courses of action, we do it at times because, because it is simply in our heart. And, and, and I would submit to you that we do this more often really than we realize. In fact, I would suggest to us that, that many times when we arrive at conclusions that have a profound impact on our life, sometimes we've made those decisions simply because. Because it's in our heart to do so. And then having made the decision on that basis, our minds move very quickly, don't they, to add rational, thought-out reasons to justify what our heart has led us to do. To illustrate this, I, I remember the events surrounding an airplane crash some 30, 31 years ago now in Washington, D.C., And what happened was that that plane had sat on the runway for a long time in a blizzard waiting to take off. And as a result of the ice buildup on the wings, when when the plane took off, it couldn't get up into the air. And, and, And so it veered off its flight path and it crashed into the 14th Street Bridge and fell into the Potomac River. And 75 people on that plane and four people on that bridge lost their life that day. Well, there was a guy by the name of Lenny Skutnik, who was driving by the river at the time and seeing the plane crash, he, he stopped his car and, and he ran over to the riverbanks. And, 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 and as he watched, there were a few people who survived that crash and, and they were there in the frigid cold water clinging to the wreckage, some of them clinging to, to the tail of that plane that was sticking out of the water. And soon rescuers arrived in a helicopter and they were lowering ropes to the passengers and then they were dragging them over to the side of the river into the banks and they were going back and forth. And finally it came the turn for one woman to grab hold of the rope, but she had been so long in that icy, cold, frigid Potomac River. She couldn't hang on and she began to drown. At that moment, Lenny Skutnik ripped off his jacket, he kicked off his boots, and he jumped into the water, and he swam through and around huge chunks of ice until he reached her. And he grabbed her as she was going down. And he swam back to the shore, saving her life. And what is interesting to me is that when they asked him as he got out of the water and they stuck a microphone in his face a few moments after that, they asked him why it was that he did what he did. You know what his response was? 
Because. Because. He didn't stand there on the side of the river tabulating if he might be able to save her or if he himself might die in the rescue attempt. He, he didn't stand there on the side of the river assessing what the best course of action would be or, or, or choosing what direction to go in. Instead, he followed his heart and he jumped in. Because. Now, it's interesting that later on, this man, Lenny Skutnik, who became a hero, in fact, President Reagan introduced him in the Gallery of Congress a few weeks after that, uh, when President Reagan made his State of the Union address. And, 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 and after that, he became like a national folk hero, and he began being interviewed on talk shows and, and late-night TV. And it was interesting that in those interviews, some months later, when he was asked that question by the talk host, as to why he did what he did, at that point he had all kinds of thought-out reasons to describe and to help people understand why he did what he did. But you know, at the moment he did what he did, he did it simply because. This morning as we think about that conviction of the heart, I would say to you that just as this occurs in matters relating to the physical dimension of our life, it also occurs in the spiritual dimension of our life as we live the Christian faith. I've got to say, the older that I get, I find that my, my faith gets stronger and that my faith in Christ as my Savior and Lord is not so much based uh, just on theological arguments, but it is also based on a conviction that is in my heart. You see, my conclusions about the Christian faith are stronger now than they ever were. But, but I got to say, I feel them as much in my head or as much in my heart as I do in my head. Now, please do not accuse me of being anti-intellectual. You do me a disservice if you do that. Those of you who know me know that I believe strongly that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our minds, as well as with our heart and our soul and our strength. And we're to read and we're to study the Word of God and we're to work out the reasons for our faith. But what I'm saying this morning is that in addition to that, there is a fundamental conviction in my heart that transcends human logic and reason. And that's why it's called faith. And so I believe in Jesus and I trust Him and I, I put my faith in Him for the forgiveness of my sin and my eternal destiny. And I am living for Jesus Christ in my life. Why? Because, because it is in my heart to do so. Now, I know that we are taught by the Apostle Peter, who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that we're to be able to give a reason for our faith that is in us. And, and Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 3.15, where, where he says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And you know, I do believe that. And, and so I study God's Word as every Christian is called to do. And I, I study the evidences for the Christian faith. But I also realize the truth of what Pascal was saying when he said the heart has its reasons that reason or logic sometimes does not know. And then he continues, for it is the heart that feels God. Not reason. It's the heart that feels God, not reason. And so you see, the truth is that much of our faith and, 
And some of the deep soul-changing decisions of our lives are based not always on rationalism or logical thought-out reasoning, but on what goes on at the heart level of our life. At times, we're like Wilfred uh, Grenfell, that explorer and missionary who opened up uh, the, the, the territory of Labrador to, to the gospel. And when someone asked him one time if he believed in eternal life in heaven uh, for those who, who trust in Christ and trust Jesus to forgive them of their sin, he replied, indeed I do. And when they asked him why it was that he believed in it, you know what his response was? He said, I believe in it because I believe in it. And I am sure of it. Because I am sure of it. You see, when he was asked why he had faith, what he was saying was, because. Because. You know, the the truth of this conviction of the heart is one that we also see in the Scripture lesson that Robbie read for us just a little bit ago. As, As our text for us this morning shows that just as it is with us, so it is with God, our Heavenly Father. God loves us because you're filling in the blanks in the message notes put in that word because God loves us because and in this text from Deuteronomy 7 Moses is speaking to the children of Israel explaining to them why it is that God loves them and let's look again at verses 6 through 8 and see what he says for you are a people holy to the Lord your God The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people his treasured possession The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. Did you get that? Moses says, but it was because the Lord loved you, not because of all kinds of reasons that God might have to love us. It was simply in his heart because he loved you, he said, and kept the oath he swore to his forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What this is saying to us is that God pursues us as people. God pursues us, He engages us, He loves us, and He wants a relationship with us that is a relationship of personal friendship. And so, in order to have that, He rescues us spiritually, and He helps us to grow more and more to be like Jesus. But in answering the question, why does God do this? In answering the question, what is God's motive? Moses is simply saying God's motive is because. God loves us because. He loves us because it's in his heart to do so. You see, just as a woman cannot set down in a thousand volumes the precise reasons for why she loves her husband as she does, so too God Almighty loves us not because of reasons, but because it's in his heart. God loves us just because. You know, occasionally I encounter people who who just can't believe that, that God would love them. They have this deep and this profound sense of their sin that, that, that weighs them down and leaves them feeling guilty and full of shame. 
And you know, I want to say it's a good thing that we have that sense of guilt that weighs us down. It's a good thing that we have that sense of shame, shame, because uh, otherwise we wouldn't be then motivated to to turn to God and confess our sin to him. And and as God's people, when we sin, even after becoming a Christian, we struggle with that human nature that is in us, as Paul talks about. And that war that goes on between the spirit of God in us and that human flesh and nature within us. You know, even in the midst of that, that guilt then causes us to repent when we've gone astray. And yet sometimes there are Christians who do confess their sin and then they just can't seem to accept the fact that God has forgiven them. And so they continue to be weighed down by guilt, unable to accept God's forgiveness, unable even to forgive themselves. I remember having someone say to me one time over coffee down at Mocha's, I don't know any reason why God would love me. But friends, the Scripture is saying to us today, there isn't any reason. He loves us because. So accept that He loves us and and accept that it's in His heart to do so. And so that even in our sin, when we hurt ourselves and, and we hurt God and we hurt others, is at times we can be hard and cruel and, and harsh and, and very rigid. Even when at times, as Second Peter 2.22 says, uh, like a dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. We go back again and again and again to the same old sins. God loves us. Not because of anything within ourselves, because in and of ourselves we give Him no reason to love us. But He loves us as Moses is saying here in this text today because because it's in His heart to do so. Yes, He loves you and me so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Jesus Christ, to die on that cross as, as Jesus Christ came down to earth and was born a human being. And He went to the cross And He allowed His body to be broken in death and His blood to be shed in death for our sake. He took on the consequences of our sin so we could be forgiven. And that is a powerful verse and a powerful concept that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when the Scripture says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And what an awesome reality that is for us. And just look at the kinds of people that God did that for. The pages of Scripture are filled with people who God did that for. Moses, a murderer. David, an adulterer and murderer. Peter, a a blaspheming, vulgar-mouthed traitor. The woman of Sychar, a prostitute. Paul, who was Saul, and when he was Saul, was a religious bigot who persecuted Christians. And sinners like you and me, who at times are deceitful, who at times gossip, who struggle with pride and being self-centered, who are sometimes egotistical and prejudiced or easily given to anger, not always the stewards God calls us to be, Adulterers at times, either through the struggles that some have with pornography or through lustful thoughts about someone or some who even follow through on those thoughts and have a premarital sexual relationship or an affair. Those who are caught up in alcohol and in drug addiction. 
And there is no reason in all the world why God should love us. Except the oldest and the strangest and the strongest reason of them all. Because. Because it's in His heart. And so we're asking the question today, is God indifferent toward us? And the answer's got to be not hardly. Not hardly. You know, this morning as we ponder this great truth, as we ponder the love of God for you and for me, I want us before we close to take a moment to think about then our response to His love. And to think about that question, then what should our response be to this? Well, obviously we respond by coming here on a Sunday morning and we gather together to sing praise and thanksgiving to God for His grace and His mercy and, and for who He is and what He's done in our lives through, through His salvation. And obviously we want to be going home into the course of our week and continuing to praise God by getting alone with Him in the quietness of our home or, or, or at times putting in a, a Christian CD as we drive down the road and singing praises out to Him. But there's another response I believe that God wants us to offer as well. Another response to the overwhelming grace and love of God in your life and mine. And that response is that, that having experienced God's love, we respond by loving and serving others. Why? Because. Because it's in our heart to do so. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, the text goes on to talk about this. And, and Moses talks about how we're to respond to the lavishness of God's love for us by, by keeping His commands. Look with me at, at verses 9 through 11. Understand, he says, therefore, that, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is a faithful God who keeps His covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes His unfailing love on those who love Him and obey His commands. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must obey all these commands, decrees, and regulations I'm giving you today. What he's saying is what Pastor Doug shared with us in that message last week when Pastor Doug talked about how God lavishes His love and His grace and His forgiveness uh, and, and removes His anger from, from those who trust Him and, and, and those who look to Him for forgiveness and for grace and for salvation. As Doug talked about last week, that Moses says the same thing here as well, that, that God has another response, and, and that is to those who turn their backs on Him all through their life, and who all through their life go their own way, and who pass from this life into the next, rejecting God's offer of love and grace and forgiveness. And that, that response is that those folks who tragically experience God's judgment one day. And so Moses says, hey, be one of those whose response is to, to, to respond to God and, and to His love and receive His grace and His forgiveness. And then out of the overflow of that, be one who follows His decrees, who follows His commands. Be one who then loves others as we love God. Who serves others as we serve God. And that is all through the pages of Scripture in a couple places where we see that. First John 4.19, the, the, the writer John, the Apostle John says, we love because He first loved us. And that's also what the Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 where we're along with talking about how 
He who became no sin became sin for us. How, how Christ took on the consequences of our sin so that we could be reconciled in righteousness to God. In that same context, that verse before, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. And what is an ambassador? Someone who represents a higher authority. Someone who represents a country. And what that means is that that person who is an ambassador actually speaks for and acts on behalf of those who they represent. And so when we love God because He first loved us, as God's ambassador, we love others. And as we serve God because He first served us, as God's ambassador, we serve others. In other words, we are the hands and we are the feet and we are the voice boxes of Jesus Christ in this world to a world where lost people need to know God's love and grace and where hurting people need to be helped. The Bible says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making His appeal through us. And it says we love because He first loved us. And you know, that's why it is that Christians are so willing to serve God and others in difficult ways and in difficult places. It's, it's a response, isn't it? To His love for us. And we see it in the stories all throughout the Scripture and stories in the Bible of people who love God and who love Jesus and who serve Him and others even in trying circumstances. And we see it in our world today, in the people of God who go out and minister in some very difficult places of ministry. We see it in the lives of those who go and they pour out their lives in remote mission outposts. And we see it here in our own community and people here in our own church and other church families across our community where people are reaching out to love on others and to minister to others, even those who the world would say are seemingly unlovable. And if you ask those folks why it is they do what they do and you press them for a reason, oftentimes the answer is simply because because it's in our heart to do so. When you ask them why they say what God said, when asked why it is that He loves mankind, they say what Jesus Christ said when asked why He would not save Himself and come down from Calvary's cross. They say what Livingstone said when asked why it is that he would pour himself out on the continent of Africa. They say what William Carey and Mother Teresa said when they offered themselves in India and they were asked why it was that they did that. They say what Francis McAmey said when asked why it was that he would pour his life out in service to the Native American Indian. They say what William Booth said when asked why it was that he would give His life in ministering to the alcoholic and the poverty-stricken people on the streets of London? They say, because. Because. Because He first loved us. Because. Yes, my friend, whenever we encounter a man or a woman who is living in some difficult service for the Lord, not receiving financial fame or the reward that they might in some other position or place or job, Whenever we see a child who because of their love for Jesus continues to love and serve an ungrateful parent. Whenever we see parents who love 
and who love and who love, even when their children wound them and wound them and wound them. Press home for a reason. And there oftentimes is no reason except because. Because it's a conviction of a heart to do so that comes from having experienced the love of God in our own life. My friends, what we have seen this morning in these truths from the book of Deuteronomy, in this text from Deuteronomy chapter 7, what we've seen about why God loves us and why we then follow His commands and His decrees and love Him and others in return, what we're talking about this morning is a love story. And quite frankly, love stories aren't arguable, are they? Because they are based on a conviction of the heart and not on rationalism and reason. And so I conclude today by reminding us that the greatest of all love stories is this. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and His only Son so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. Why has He done this? Because. Because. And so may we who have experienced God's wonderful love and we who have experienced His grace and His forgiveness, we who have experienced Him serving us in the way that He has, may we then give Him our love and our service in return by worshiping Him by loving others as well, because it's in our heart to do so.